You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Weekend, everybody. Welcome back to Lockdown Rockets, your home for podcast commentary on the NBA's Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. As we chat this weekend, I think we all have a little more free time than we would have liked. The NBA Finals are underway, but of course the Rockets, after losing in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals to the Warriors, are not in it. Instead, it's the Warriors and the Cavs for a fourth straight year, headlined by, well, the storyline of LeBron James against the Warriors. Game 1 went as a lot expected. LeBron James, incredible, with 51 points, but the Cavs still lost the game, in large part because the teammates simply were not good enough. Uh, J.R. Smith with the one of the lowlights of all time in a tie game, getting the offensive rebound with four seconds left and somehow not knowing the score and running the clock out instead of looking to put up the shot to win the game. Warriors then ended up winning in a romp in overtime. I'll admit, as far as the games themselves, I'm not that enthused to watch because ultimately we know it's to the Rockets' advantage for the Warriors to win this series because the Rockets' pursuit of LeBron James this summer is obviously conditional on the Cavs not winning a title, so it's in everyone's interest for the Warriors to win. But coming off a grueling seven-game series in which, if not for the perfect storm of variables going against you, probably would have and should have gone Houston's way, it's tough to see a team in Golden State that the Rockets had on the ropes going out there and winning a title. So in terms of watching the games in and out, X's and O's, I'm not that into it. However, the results... Yes, I'm monitoring because it is important to the Rockets' future, particularly now that it's June within the next month, because if the Rockets are going to acquire LeBron James, in my opinion, it needs to happen by July 1st via an opt-in and trade, just like Chris Paul last year, because that's the way that you can add LeBron to the existing core, and also you can add him without even subjecting yourself to a hard cap, which is instrumental in keeping Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Trevor Ariza, and the rest of your free agents to keep the vast majority of the supporting cast in place of this team that won 65 games and took the Warriors to seven games already. So in terms of the 2018 NBA Finals, here in Houston, it's about LeBron and and, and basically the storyline of what is the most likely thing to drive him to Houston. And Game 1 was certainly a positive in that regard. We'll see what happens in Game 2 Sunday night. As far as why LeBron would want to join the Rockets, and even if he does, it's far from a done deal, as we've explained plenty of times in the past. You have to find a home for Ryan Anderson, most likely, either give enough draft picks to Cleveland to make them do it themselves, or bring a third team into the mix who would then send some combination of expiring and non-guaranteed contracts to Cleveland while assuming Ryan themselves, probably with draft pick compensation from the Rockets. Certainly not easy, but if LeBron wants to join the Rockets, the pull is obvious. First, there's Chris Paul, who's one of his best friends in the entire league, I would say on the planet, really. I think they're uh, godparents to each other's children. But there's the Chris Paul factor, and then there's the reality that LeBron wants to win titles, and the Rockets are as close as anyone has ever been to the Warriors in the Kevin Durant era. The Rockets took them to a Game 7 and were up double digits at the half in that Game 7. No one else has even taken the Warriors with Durant to a Game 6. So it's pretty easy to connect the dots as why the Rockets 
make the most sense. And yes, Cleveland theoretically was close in game one. The problem is that the only reason Cleveland was close in game one was because they had LeBron James. And it just reflects that even if LeBron scores 50, how poor is the supporting cast, that that's still not enough to get a win, even with the Warriors not playing particularly well themselves. That said, the pull of Houston to LeBron, we discussed that plenty of times before here at Locked on Rockets. It's all available in our archives. What I want to do today is explore, explore the narratives against LeBron to Houston, which get thrown out a lot, and why, in, in my opinion, many of these are overdone. In my opinion, there are three primary narratives that are used against the idea of LeBron to the Rockets, and each one of them has a crucial flaw, which we're going to discuss over the next 20 minutes or so. Those three variables, I would say number one, it's fit. Number two, it's timing. And number three, it's West versus East. Does it matter what conference LeBron is in? First, let's start with the fit, because I think this is the easiest one to dismiss. You see a lot of folks questioning, are there enough basketballs to go around? And my response to that is, did you not learn from last summer? We already went through this with speculation of how can Chris Paul and James Harden work? There's only one basketball, and yet the Rockets went out and won 65 games, and before Chris Paul's untimely hamstring injury, appeared poised to go to the NBA Finals, where they would have been commanding favorites to win the franchise's first title since 1995. It's a new NBA. The Warriors are as talented as any team to ever play the sport, and that demands risk. We saw it work with Chris Paul and James Harden, but it's not just them. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, they both like the basketball. For that matter, so do Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. Draymond, even though he's not a scorer, he certainly likes the ball in his hands, and the Warriors are very good when he's facilitating. Look back to Miami, those LeBron teams in Miami with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. They both like the ball. This idea we need to get over that because two players like the basketball, or three in this case, that they can't play together, that's just lunacy. As Mike D'Antoni pointed out early in the season when asked about the Paul Harden pairing, he pointed to the Olympic teams and said, when players want to make it work, they'll figure it out. If their state of mind is in the right place, nine times out of ten, it's going to work out. And if LeBron James comes to Houston, it would be because he wants to win championships. He wants to make a run at the six titles held by Michael Jordan. Right now, LeBron only has three, and he's 33 years old. So if the players want to make it work, they will find a way to make it work. Another factor to keep in mind with the fit, there's a lot of projecting going on with, here's what LeBron must want. And we saw it last summer with Chris Paul. In reality, we heard from Chris after he went to Houston Chris actually wanted to play off the ball more, in part because he understands his own physical limitations, now 33 years old, and of course we saw in the playoffs all too well what can happen with the ill-timed hamstring injury, but if Chris Paul wants to play and compete for titles deep into his 30s, he probably needs to play off the ball more. The same thing can be said for LeBron James, because LeBron's going to be 34 years old next year. As great as what he is doing now, I don't think that's a sustainable route to him late in his 30s being able to compete for titles as the alpha dog. As great as he is in now year 15 in the NBA, his body is going to break down. LeBron, like Chris Paul, and by the way, they're very close, may want to play off the ball more in a setting like Houston would be with James Harden and Chris Paul to allow him to manage his body to go deeper into his 30s, even 40, and ultimately go after the six titles that Michael Jordan has. By the way, I should have mentioned earlier when I was discussing the Warriors, the Heat, teams with multiple ball-dominant players. Think back to the Thunder in 2012 and how loaded they seemed before they gave up on James Harden. 
Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, these days, those are three of the top five ball-dominant guys in the NBA. They all played on one team, and it worked quite well. Again, if the chemistry is right, if the players want to make it work, if they're in the right state of mind, as Mike D'Antoni pointed out with the Olympic examples, it'll usually work out. And even if for some reason it doesn't, even if you're still skeptical of the X's and O's, all three guys need the ball, yada yada, if there's one thing you've seen from LeBron, he gives himself options to enter free agency every single year. When you are as good as LeBron, it's not like he's going to sign a five-year deal because he's afraid that somebody's not going to give him the max a year from now. That's silly. He's the best player to ever play the game. If he opts into the final year of his contract, which is by far the most reasonable route for him to get to Houston, or if somehow he signed the contract, either way, if for some reason it didn't work out, he could leave in a year anyway. So it's not like he is just binding himself to this organization forever. I don't expect that to happen. I think if he were to come, the players would want to make it work. And just like with Chris Paul and James Harden, it would. But even if there were some questions, then LeBron gives himself exit strategies. There's no reason to expect there to be a 100% answer now. And by the way, there's not going to be a 100% answer no matter where he goes. There are always questions. And ultimately, that's why LeBron signs short-term contracts so that he has peak leverage. Ultimately, though, the moral of the story is this. It's not automatic that LeBron would choose Houston, but I don't see the fit, the X's and O's on the basketball floor being a concern to where he would overlook the talent. In today's NBA, you have got to compete with the Warriors. You have got to do some extraordinary things, make sacrifices to compete with a team that good. And as Chris Paul said last summer, if you're not looking to compete with the Warriors, then what are you doing? I'm pretty confident that LeBron is wired much the same way. Now, fit, that's one flawed narrative against LeBron joining the Rockets that gets thrown out a lot these days on NBA Twitter. It's not the only one. The next one that I see a lot that I think is really misguided is West versus East. And what I mean by that is, why would LeBron join the tougher Western Conference when he could stay out East, meaning stay in Cleveland, potentially go to Philadelphia where there's a lot of young talent and a max slot, et cetera, et cetera. And my response to that argument is, have you missed the last three years? Do you think we're still in 2015? Because the Western Conference as a whole is not that much tougher than the East anymore. When you say the Western Conference is more difficult, technically it is because of the presence of the Warriors, but the Warriors are going to be there no matter what. Whether you're in the East or the West, you're not winning a title if you're LeBron James in all likelihood without going through the Golden State Warriors. The argument that the West is inherently bad or more difficult is not based on the one team at the top. What would make the West not fit is if as a whole the conference is much deeper. And I'm not seeing that. As I've mentioned Earlier this week about why the Rockets are so well positioned in the West, at least next year, but moving forward, no one else in the conference even won 50 games this year. There was Houston, there was Golden State, and there was an enormous drop-off. If LeBron were to stay in the East, essentially his championship calculus is this, and this is whether he chooses Cleveland or Philadelphia, those are the two uh, leading options, going by the odds makers at least, for LeBron in the East. There's the Boston Celtics, which are the team in the East with the best combination of young talent, other stars. They will get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward back and superior coaching in Brad Stevens. There's the Celtics and there's the Warriors. 
if LeBron were to join the Rockets, there's the Warriors, and there's the Celtics. It's literally the same thing. You're just inverting the order, one in the conference finals, one in the NBA finals. And no, just because in the East, technically you can get to the NBA finals before losing to the Warriors, I don't think that means much to LeBron at all. I don't think LeBron is driven by the opportunity to become or to make his team or any other team the Buffalo Bills of the 2010s. I don't think that's what drives LeBron James. He is driven by wanting to win titles. And either way, it's going to come down to beating the Warriors and most likely the Celtics in a seven-game series. It's not like it gets any easier going from the West to the East or staying out East in LeBron's case. As with the discussion over fit, I think it goes back to that Chris Paul quote from last summer on his documentary of, if you're not trying to beat the Warriors, then what are you doing? And ultimately, it's about the best chance to beat Golden State in a seven-game series. Now, if there's some factor that makes it more difficult to get that seven-game series with Golden State, then yes, that would be a consideration. However, I'm not seeing it because the difficulty in the West is Golden State. Well, that's a factor regardless. In terms of non-Golden State teams in the West, if he were to choose the Rockets, who are you afraid of? Portland? Utah? Oklahoma City? No one even won 50 games this year. The West is not what it was a few years back. Now again, as I said leading off, if this were 2015, you might could make that argument. When you had, say, the defending champion Spurs with a healthy and happy Kawhi Leonard, with Tim Duncan still playing very well, as a sixth seed in the West, that was different. Back then you had, of course, not just the Spurs with Duncan, but you had the Thunder with Durant and Westbrook. You had the Memphis Grizzlies, grit and grind, winning mid-50s every year. You had Chris Paul's Clippers and all those teams, in addition to the Rockets and Warriors. Right now... It's pretty much just the Rockets and Warriors. That's it. So, at least in terms of top-tier championship contending threats. So, I don't see a big drop-off between the West and the East, because either way, you're talking about the Warriors and, to a lesser extent, the Celtics. Every other team, it's not that you couldn't lose, but if you did, there's something catastrophically, fundamentally wrong. It's not like there's another team that is built to challenge you. So ultimately, I don't see conference playing a big role in this decision. And I'm sure some will say, well, he has a route to the NBA Finals. Well, great. Whether he loses to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, the NBA Finals, I'm pretty sure that does not make a big difference to LeBron James. He's not in it to get the Buffalo Bills exposure from what happened to them in the 90s, losing four straight Super Bowls. LeBron James is in it to try and actually win titles. And that in and of itself is the goal. Now, if there were other teams besides the Warriors that were capable of beating you in the West that do not exist in the East, then maybe that would be a consideration, but you're going to have to talk me into it because I'm not seeing anything in terms of non-Golden State teams in the West, Portland, Utah, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, San Antonio, Minnesota, those are the teams that actually made the playoffs this year out of the West. Um, maybe you guys feel differently, but for me, I'm not seeing them being any more daunting than the teams out east that they would play. Uh, Cleveland, for example, this year having to go through Indiana and Toronto the first two rounds. I'm not seeing a big gap when it comes to non-contenders in the east and non-contenders in the west, which makes it unlikely that staying out east is all that big of a priority for LeBron James. Now, the final and what I consider the three flawed variables in terms of the LeBron James decision-making process and what some I've seen around NBA Twitter think would be negatives to the Rockets' case 
would be the timing. And by timing, I mean the fact that he would have to make a decision effectively before June 30th to join the Rockets because the most viable route, just like Chris Paul last summer, would be for LeBron to opt into the final year of his existing deal because that's the only way that the Rockets can bring back the majority of their current team in terms of obviously a trade means you don't have to dismantle your team to get cap room. And if it's an opt-in and trade as opposed to a sign-in trade, a sign-in trade would happen in July, a sign-in trade would hard cap the Rockets and that would make it difficult to retain the supporting cast unless they all give you significant discounts. As opposed to an opt-in and trade, there's no hard cap, so it makes it all the easier to acquire LeBron and then go over the cap, even the, um, the, the hard cap line, because it doesn't exist at that point, uh, what it would be to retain guys like Chris Paul, Clint Capella, and get them the money that they deserve and would normally get on the open market. And the primary arguments against this from a timing perspective are, A, would LeBron make his decision this quickly after the NBA Finals? He is still playing right now. And B, would he pass up the opportunity to go on a courtship tour with his free agency visits in July, which is what's happened the last two times he's gone through an extended free agency in uh, July 2010 and July 2014? And my answer to that would be this. There is nothing more overrated in sports than the value of free agency visits for star players. Now, if you're a mid-tier or not quite star, I might can understand because you have viable questions on what your role would be. For LeBron James, he is the system. There are not going to be significant questions over how exactly are you going to use LeBron James. He's probably the greatest player to ever play the sport. So the idea that he's going to sit in a boardroom for an hour and that's going to make the decision, it's laughable. It's just like Kevin Durant when he went to the Hamptons. The Warriors didn't have to close the deal on him. He already went into the process being a heavy Warriors lean. And ultimately, you know, I think these free agency visits, especially for stars, a lot of it is just institutional. There's a lot of connections, agencies that, you know, they want to make it seem like, and maybe to some small degree they are, they're giving these meetings to various GMs and other personnel around the league. So there's a lot of networking that goes involved. There's a lot of back scratching saying, hey, we gave you a shot in a room. But as far as top tier guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant, they're not going to be swayed very heavily by what happens in an hour presentation in a boardroom. It's going to be about which team has the best opportunity to win a title. And even if you, these hour sessions of the boardroom, you'll hear GMs that say, oh, they have these plans. Well, LeBron is not going to make his decision based on, oh, Gerald Morey or whatever the GM might be able to do this afterward. No, you're going to have to show him. I'm pretty confident that he's not going to make his decision based on speculative, this is what might could happen down the line. What if we maybe trade so-and-so for so-and-so? No, it's going to be the rosters on paper the salaries moving forward, meaning how much money can he get, how much flexibility does the team have for further additions, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all going to be available for LeBron in June. And you better believe that he and his representation are going to discuss it. Again, to use the Chris Paul parallel, one of his closest friends, much the same way Chris Paul did last June in comparing the options that he had on the table for him, the Rockets, the Spurs, the uh, the Celtics, and all the other teams that were allegedly in play for Chris last summer. And of course, it's not going to be all on paper. There are some other intangible factors that will be considered, namely the relationships that LeBron has with players, executives, even owners on the other teams. That could all be factored in. Of course, 
It's going to be a family decision. He's got a wife. He's got kids. Where are they comfortable living? Well, guess what? All of those things will be discussed in June as well. And in terms of the uh, inner player relationships, it's going to come down to what LeBron has seen over his 15 years in the NBA. I mentioned his close relationship with Chris Paul. If there are intangibles that come into play, it's going to be, and of course, players are allowed to talk to each other in June. And so even if there aren't official visits, you better believe that Chris Paul will be making his recruiting pitches, according to Mark Stein in the New York Times, that's already begun. And I'm sure certain reps of other teams will do the same. But in terms of factors outside of just who has the best roster, what are the salaries, where are you going to live, could that stuff come into play? Sure it could, but it's going to come up in June as as much as it does, and probably even more so than it would in July. And there should be plenty of time for LeBron to think and talk this over. If the Warriors sweep the Cavs, Game 5 would be, or Game 4, excuse me, would be Friday, June 8th. That would give him three full weeks until the 29th before he would have to make a decision if he wanted to pursue the Houston Path. Game 5 would be Monday, June 11th. That would be essentially 18 days. That's plenty of time, 18 to 21 days, to look and think it over. And I'm sure to some small degree he's already been thinking about it already, or at least the people around him had the scenarios all lined up and ready to go. But aside from... Again, just rosters, salaries, the on-paper things, the intangibles that come into play, it's going to be based on the relationships that he's had for 15 years in the NBA. That's where the Rockets have an upper hand with Chris Paul. To go back to last summer when the Rockets recruited Chris Paul, that became a big thing for them. I think the fact that James Harden and Chris Paul had a pre-existing relationship, whereas, say, Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard did not. There was a much larger age gap between those two, and that's why the Spurs were not able to close the deal, and perhaps that's a difference this summer, say, the Rockets compared to the Sixers, because we know that there's a relationship between Chris Paul and LeBron, and to a lesser extent between James Harden and LeBron, whereas the Sixers stars, being of a younger age group, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, I'm not sure there's quite the same draw for LeBron in terms of the intangibles. Either way, though, in terms of those intangible factors, it's going to be driven based on years, years of input, of observations, it's not going to be what happens in a one-hour boardroom. Now, if it gets to July, will he do the one-hour boardroom? Yes, and I don't think he's naive to the benefits. He does get a lot of attention for it, which is good for his brand. As mentioned earlier, I think the agent community and the teams, they like it because there's a lot of networking that goes involved. Even if you get a, a meeting with a top free agent, it can reflect well on your franchise. It creates positive excitement and buzz and all that sort of stuff. And... Those benefits are not irrelevant, but I don't see that driving the decision for LeBron. If LeBron, at age 33, thinks Houston is the best fit for him, I don't see him letting the dog and pony show of one-hour visits to various teams in July making the difference. Because when it comes to LeBron making decisions, he's not going to find out anything in a one-hour meeting in a boardroom that he did not already know going in. Maybe for non-star free agents, those are a big deal. But for stars like LeBron, folks, he is the system. It's wherever he's most comfortable. It's a family decision, winning titles, all those things. And nothing that happens in one hour in a boardroom is going to change his calculus, in my opinion. So if he wants to go to Houston, I don't see the timing being a big part of that decision. Now, this is not meant to say that LeBron to Houston is a formality, because I certainly don't believe that. As I've said all year long, I think the hardest thing to do is to get him out of Cleveland in the first place, because they are in the NBA Finals, it is his home, and 
I think all things equal, he wants to make it work there. All the stuff we talked about with the relationships, when he made the decision in July 2014, he didn't have much of a relationship with Kyrie Irving, and ultimately that proved to be ill-fated based on what ended up happening after last season and Kyrie wanting out. Now, LeBron did take certain steps to mitigate it. For example, he essentially mandated the trade of Andrew Wiggins when he was the top overall pick for Kevin Love, which brought another vet closer to his age group. But in general, LeBron took a leap of faith on Kyrie. He didn't really know him that well or the fit. And I think it's because it was Cleveland. He knew for his legacy. It's his home. He gives Cleveland the benefit of the doubt. And I understand why. And ultimately, he might do that again. Even if Houston is the better team on paper, he might give Cleveland the benefit of the doubt because that's his home. He knows it's better for his legacy. And he doesn't want to go through all the drama and stress of moving and being seen as a front runner and all those other types of things. It's also very possible that the Rockets might not be able to make the math work because in the most likely scenario, this opt-in to the final year of his existing contract and trade, the way the Rockets got Chris Paul, pretty much the only way to make it work salary-wise to get close to LeBron's $35 million figure if he opts in is to trade the $20 million contract of Ryan Anderson. Can the Rockets do that in terms of finding a third team most likely to take Ryan while also satisfying what Cleveland would want if they were to let uh, their franchise icon, maybe the greatest player in the history of the sport, leave? I don't know. These are all very viable questions. And if that didn't work, would Daryl Morey be, well, A, willing, and A, willing, B, able, and C, still make the team attractive enough to LeBron to tear apart the team to get salary cap room? Because it's not impossible if the Cavs weren't willing to play ball to deconstruct the roster entirely and get a third max slot, but you would lose almost everyone else. A, can you do that? And B, even if you do, is that still attractive to LeBron James because you essentially destroyed the supporting cast of the team that won 65 games and on paper appeared so poised to be a challenger to the Warriors next year? So all of these are very viable questions. And because of that, I think it's far, far from a done deal that LeBron James goes to Houston. There are certainly very real questions However, what I don't see as questions are the popular things that are thrown out there. The fit, in terms of X's and O's, would he go to the West, and would he make a decision before July? Those things, to me, are incredibly overdone, and hopefully over the last 20 minutes or so, you've got a little bit more of an understanding as to why. So with that, I think we can wrap up today's show. Again, thanks as always for tuning in, especially if you're listening on the weekends and giving up some of your time to us here at Lockdown Rockets. Not sure when our next show will be. We're sort of playing it by ear now that we're in off-season mode and waiting for news to develop. But whenever it breaks, uh, certainly we'll have you covered here at Locked on Rockets. But even before that, on Twitter, that's the best place to get insight from me, the show, anyone else in the Rockets community. Uh, If you're not already on, you certainly should be. Uh, Best place to follow me is there at Ben DuBose or the show at Locked on Rockets. Also, you want to reach out to me, contact information, uh, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, a diehard Rockets fan, then you can email us, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. Go to the website at LockdownRockets.com, the Facebook page at Facebook.com, slash LockdownRockets, all ways that you can get in touch and let me know if you've got, again, questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan community. For now, I'm going to go out and enjoy my weekend. Hopefully, y'all are able to do the same. And once again, thanks for listening here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for podcast discussion of Houston Rockets basketball.